0: I think we'll get started this morning as we consider another parable. You may not recognize the background. Had some technical issues at my house and had to run over to Jason's house. So a little bit of adventure for a Sunday morning, but we are going to be taking a look at Matthew chapter 25 and the parable Of the ten virgins. And I'd like to read that whole portion. We're only reading to the end of verse 13. So let me read that uh, while we get started here. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins. Who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them are wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our our oil are going out. Our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Now, in order to understand this parable correctly, it is imperative that we understand the context of this particular parable. Oftentimes, we will come up with all kinds of fanciful ideas as to what this is saying. And if we took this parable out of the word of God and did not consider it in light of all that surrounds it, you can come up with all kinds of strange doctrines that may come out of this. A parable there is... is 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 there in order to take the very familiar circumstances and explain the unfamiliar. That's the idea behind a parable. In God's word, the Lord Jesus Christ uses this method of teaching over and over and over again, because it is a good method of teaching to be able to understand what is uh, previously un-understandable. Un- un- the context of this parable, then, is the Olivet Discourse. The Olivet Discourse is after the Lord Jesus Christ had visited the temple. You remember that he cleansed the temple. And then after he came out of the temple, it says they went up to the Mount of Olives. And we picked that up in chapter 24 and verse 1. This is the beginning, then, of the Olivet Discourse. It says these words, Then Jesus went out, And departed from the temple, and his disciples come up to show him the building of the temple. Now in Luke's gospel, we find out that what they were showing him was the magnificent stones that were in that temple. And they were magnificent. Archaeologists have dug up some of these stones. For a long time, it was thought that no such temple ever existed. And upon continual digging over the years... They found these massive stones, some of them 40 feet, 12 feet thick and 12 feet high. Uh, One of them was found to be 85 feet long. The general idea of a stone that large would make it about 100 tons in weight. How could they ever get these stones one on top of the other? We have large pieces of machinery now, they would struggle and strain to do such a thing. They did it with nothing. The disciples said, Lord, you've got to see this. This place is magnificent. Here was his answer. Do you not see all these things? This is verse 2 of 24. Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another. That shall not be thrown down. Verse number three is what our parable is predicated upon. All of the Olivet Discourse is predicated upon the question that the disciples had for the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the question. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And so the Olivet Discourse was sovereignly pieced together by what would be a question by the disciples, tell us these things. There was great misunderstanding by the disciples. They wanted to hear the answer, it'll be next week. It'll be next month. It'll be, let's say, maybe in a year. But it's got to be immediate. That's the only way they saw it. Because they could not see the valley between the two mountains. And the valley between the two mountains is the age of grace that we live in today. You say, where is the church in this Olivet Discourse? Well, it's not here. Where is the church in the Old Testament? Well... It's not there directly. Where is the rapture in this discourse? Not here. Where is the rapture in the Old Testament? You'll search in vain and come up with a big zero on that as well. There's a reason why that's so. The church is a mystery. This is what Paul said. In Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 32. This is a great mystery. What was he referring to? Well, he was referring to that of marriage. The union of a husband and a wife becoming one flesh. That is a mystery. I'll agree with that 100%. But, I speak concerning Christ and the church. You thought marriage was a mystery. Now, this is truly a mystery. That the Lord Jesus Christ has united himself with his church. He is in his church. His church is in him. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. You talk about a mystery. That's a mystery. Not revealed in the Old Testament. And the life that I now live in the flesh... I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We've heard much about the rapture, the rapture of the church. You look for the rapture of the church in this teaching, the Olivet Discourse. You will not find the rapture of the church. And it's a mystery as well. You will not find the rapture of the church even hardly hinted at in the Old Testament. And again, the Word of God says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, there is an eminency about the rapture. The signs that we'll look at just quickly in this word of God in the 24th chapter of Matthew have nothing to do with the rapture of the church. The signs are not for the rapture of the church. Now, I hold personally that some of these things can occur in a small measure even before the church is taken. One speaker put it this way. When a woman goes into labor, there is the labor pains. And then there can be Braxton Hicks pains. Those pains that are like phantom pains before, kind of a precursor to the real thing. And if she's having trouble with the Braxton Hicks, well, she ain't seen nothing yet. Well, I believe we could be seeing some of those Braxton Hicks even now. We live in strange times. This is an of epidemic proportions. This little bitty virus given by you, God our Father, in order to get our attention. And it has truly gotten our attention. The church is a mystery. The rapture of the church Again, a mystery in this, the word of God that they had at that time, which would have been the Old Testament. They could not see that. And so the disciples were under the impression that this was all going to culminate very, very quickly. Very, very swiftly. Judas was waiting for this. He figured, well, if you're setting up your kingdom, I want to be a part of that. He was a seeker, Judas was of great wealth and power and position. That's what drove Judas. So he was going to hang around to see if the Lord was actually going to come through with this stuff. And then you'll find in uh, ver- in chapter 26, um, in verse number 2, this is where Judas said, Okay, I've had enough. I've had enough. I give up. Here's what it says. You know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Well, Judas probably came at that point because it was just very quickly after that. When he went out and he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ, he figured, well, he's not going to set up his kingdom. I might as well get what I can get. And so he went after the gold. And he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ to his very face. So we have here this as a context of this parable. And it says this. These things will precede the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was in the first advent. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. They did not receive him you remember in 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 in, in uh chapter twenty two um it says this and the lord said uh sit at my right hand no no that's not what I was looking for hmm. well the lord Jesus Christ said this he said to the nation of israel uh that uh the 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 uh the whole culmination of this thing uh, was, and I'm trying to find, it. here it is, chapter 23, verse 13. It says, but woe to you. Verse 14, woe to you. Verse 15, woe to you. Verse 16, woe to you. Verse 23, and, verse, and chapter 23, woe to you. Over and over again, verse 25, woe to you. 27, woe to you. 29, woe to you. Seven woes announced on these leaders of the nation, of Israel, now you would have thought that the Lord Jesus Christ had had enough of these leaders, and He was ready to strike them dead in their very it, 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 where they stood. But I want you to see verse number thirty-seven of chapter twenty-three. Look what it says: "O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her." How oft I I wanted to gather your children together as a hen of gather her chicks. But you were unwilling. Even with all these woes, even with the deep disappointment that the Lord Jesus Christ felt, as these who called themselves the leader of the nation of Israel, that nation of which God himself had blessed over and over again, That nation that God desired to be a witness on this earth. A witness to his glory. And had failed miserably. They failed when they were taken out of Egypt. They would fail when they were taken out of Babylon. He rescued them and rescued them. And they still went back to deep idolatry. But listen to the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, I've had it. I'm done with you, Israel. You have no place anymore in my plans. That's not what he says. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I would have gathered thee as a hen, uh, together as a hen to gather chicks under her wings. But you were not Willing. He came unto his own in his first advent, and his own received him not. But then the rest of 25, 24 talks about the signs that will be given before his second advent. Now his second advent was, was given in the Old Testament over and over again. And over and over again. That the Lord Jesus Christ would come as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He would set up his kingdom on earth. The kingdom of heaven would become the kingdom of earth. The Lord Jesus Christ would come down. He is that stone that was broken out without hands. And his kingdom would last forever and ever and ever. It's that fifth world kingdom that shall have absolutely no end. There would be signs that would precede that kingdom. In verse number 6 of chapter 24 of Matthew, it says, wars and rumors of wars. Verse number 7, famine. And then pestilence. Maybe that's one of the Braxton Hicks that we're suffering from now. Because this pestilence is viruses, diseases that there are no real answers for. We could be seeing a little of that particular thing even now. All these, verse number eight, are the beginning of sorrows. That's the word birth pains. And so what's going to happen is there is going to be a, a birth pains On top of birth pains. And the intensity is going to become greater and greater and greater. And they're going to become closer and closer together. To the point where you read in the Revelation some horrific things. That are going to happen before the Lord Jesus Christ makes his way to the earth. Verse number 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Well, then that sets our parable this morning. Because the very first word of chapter number 25 is, then. Then, when's then? The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. The very first question we must have. We have a bridegroom. We have a wedding. We have bridesmaids. We have this great warning. And that's our outline for this particular chapter. A wedding, bridesmaids, bridegroom, and then the great warning that is in verse number 13. The strange thing is, where's the bride? Where's the bride? In two different versions of the Word of God, it does include the bride. In the King James Version, and the version that was taken to to make the King James Version, it does not include the bride. Is the bride there? Well, I say to you, the bride is there. The emphasis, though, of this particular parable is not the bride. The emphasis is the bridegroom and these maidens, these bridesmaids. That's the emphasis. Why do I think that the bride is definitely there. Well, this is what it says in, uh, first Thessalonians and chapter number four. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. Now listen to these words. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. From the point we're raptured off this earth, And taken up into the heavens. Now we're going to discuss a little bit as to when that happens. But at that particular point. We are linked with the bridegroom. Never to be unlinked again. We're going to be right there on that ridden side. That he suffered. In order that we might have salvation. Oh friends. We're there. We're just not the emphasis. What is the picture of this particular parable? It is the picture of the nation of Israel. It's the beginning of that last seven-year period. We have all but seven years from Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. All but seven years have transpired. All of that prophecy, all 490 years Of that prophecy. Concerns the nation of Israel. And that is exactly. What the, the discourse. On the Mount of Olives. Was concerning itself with. The nation of Israel. We are taken. Off this earth. We are taken off this earth. Before the wrath of God. Is poured out on primarily. The nation of Israel. Secondarily that wrath is going to pour on the rebellious nations that surround them as well. God's wrath is going to be poured out on humanity. I think in order to establish that, just real quickly, we will go to Second Thessalonians and chapter... Let me find it here. Yes, uh, chapter number 2 and verse number 8. This is what it says. <clears throat> no, let's go to 1 Thessalonians. I'm sorry. Chapter number 5 and verse number 9 says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you remember what preceded that. We have the verses in Uh, uh, chapter number 4 and verse 13 where it talks about this mystery period. Why doesn't it fit the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, let's read through it. It says, but I do not... This is verse 13 of chapter number 4. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him Those who sleep in Jesus, what a comfort. Sleeping in Jesus, absent from the body, present with the Lord, and sleeping with Jesus. What a blessing. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now I want you to notice those words. They are going to rise The rapture is not the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he does not come all the way to the earth. The word of God tells us he comes in the air. And we rise up to meet him. And we grab onto his beloved hand. And he takes us home to heaven. Because we are the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, I want you to notice in in chapter number 5, it says the word but. But concerning times and seasons. Those words, times and seasons, take us right back to Acts chapter 1 and verse 7, where we're dealing with the nation of Israel again and the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. And it goes through the horrific things that are going to happen there. And he says it's going to come as a thief in the night. It's going to come at a time when you least expect it. And we'll see that in our parable as we go through. Now back to uh, Matthew chapter 25. And let's go through this parable and let's see what we can glean from it. This is familiar to the nation of Israel. A wedding was very common to the nation of Israel. It was the biggest celebration that the nation of Israel had, was at a wedding. A grand get-together, a seven-day festivity at the end of that wedding. It was going to be a, a beautiful time of immense celebration. But first there was an engagement. Now, we're not familiar with this, being Gentiles, but the nation of Israel would know these steps very, very well. I wouldn't even have to lay them out. First, the engagement. That's an agreement between two fathers. The father of the bride and the father of the groom. Then there's the betrothal. That's the marriage ceremony itself. That is a ceremony itself. The marriage has taken place. The covenant before God and with all the witnesses, it takes place at that point. But it's a year until that marriage is actually consummated. Strange. Bizarre. A little tough for the guy, isn't it? Yeah. I'll see. But it is a year. If there's a divorce during the betrothal period and the actual Wedding feast. It would be considered like a divorce. There is no divorcing at this point. The betrothal is the marriage. The part that we are in, that we're seeing through this parable, is the wedding feast itself. And that is a massive celebration of seven days. And so, the wedding is first. And then we have... The bride. And it says in the uh, uh, second verse, it says, Now five of them, that's speaking of the the bridesmaids, five of them were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. The word foolish is interesting. The Greek word foolish is morose. It means they were morons. Well, it's a little hard. Look it up in your Greek. You'll find out that's what it means. It goes even further. It says they were stupid. I mean, think about it. These weren't just lamps. These were torches. These were large torches. And on those torches was a wrapping of uh, cloth. And they were supplied by a supply of oil. Without the oil, it ain't going to burn very long. And so you have five of these bridesmaids who were fools and then it says in verse number four but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps and so we have five that are fools and five that are wise. I believe that what we're dealing with here is those who are professors And those who are true possessors of salvation. We have many who are professors of salvation. And basically their their whole lot in thinking is, I'm really not that bad. There is something in me that is redeemable. And the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, there's nothing in you. That is redeemable. That's why he told Nicodemus, You must be born again. And so within the midst of these bridesmaids were those who were truly put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who were simply faking moves through life. They had the profession. But they did not have the possession and then we have the uh, the bridegroom himself and that we see in verse number six and it says and at midnight a cry was heard why at midnight? well it's at a time that you will not be thinking. it was appropriate in that day. For the groom to come at midnight. To come at a time least expected. And that's the whole emphasis of Matthew chapter 24. It's going to be a time that you least expect it. Verse number 40 of uh, chapter number 24. Then two will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Then two men will be in the field. Excuse me, two women will be grinding at the meal mill, uh, and one will be taken, and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. That's the emphasis here in this parable. And that's why the groom came at midnight. Now, we have the reaction. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps... And the fools said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. They said this in vain. We cannot transfer our salvation to anyone. It is purchased. Come by, he said, without money and without price. No getting into the wedding without A lit torch. They must have. A lit torch. They may have lit those rags at the top. And they burned for a little while. And and then they burned out. What a disaster. As they stood there. Their job was to guide the bridegroom. Into the chambers. With the bride. That was their job. They needed to have a lit torch. It was like an invitation To the wedding. But theirs went out. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil. The wise answered, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy yourselves. Now you can't apply everything in these parables. We know that salvation cannot be purchased. We know that from scripture. It is a free gift from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You must first realize that you're a sinner, that you need the salvation that only Christ can provide. It was from the blood that he shed that redemption was provided through the sacrifice of himself. The just dying for the unjust that he might bring us to God. What a salvation. What a salvation is ours. If you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have the oil. What does the oil, then, portray? Well, I believe it's the Holy Spirit of God, which is the one who leads us into repentance and ultimately leads us into salvation. Verse number 10, there are some sobering words here. It says, and the door was shut. I believe if they ever dug up Noah's Ark on that mountain, I believe they would find scratch marks on the door of that ark, where people were crying out. They were crying out, but it was too late. This theme, be ready, be ready, be ready. Why does it resonate over and over and over again in the scriptures? Oh, we're talking particular about the nation of Israel during the tribulation. There were those who would take the name of Christ, but they really wouldn't be possessors. But it applies to us as well. The same message is being drummed into our house. Be ready. Be ready. If there was an eminency about the second coming of the Lord, there is a greater eminency about the rapture of the church. There aren't any signs that are going to precede the rapture of the church. It's simply a trump that is going to sound, and the dead in Christ are going to rise, and we who remain are going to be caught up. That's the word rapture. It's not the second coming. It is the rapture. And so we shall forever be with the Lord. I'm amazed that as I look at scriptures that delineate that period of time before the rapture, this hard, hard edge that I hear in correlation with the nation of Israel is not really there as much. You'll notice What it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. I want to go back there. Because I love this passage. It says this. Uh, It says. Therefore. comfort, Comfort one another. With these. Words. We can comfort one another. Are we. Waiting expectantly for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be waiting for him. We need to be watching for him as a believing group of individuals, a part of the church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Too late. No, I hope those aren't the words. That the Lord Jesus Christ would say, I never knew you. You notice he does not say, I did not see you witnessing to your neighbors. I did not see you attending the assembly. I did not see you, and you can just fill in the blank. He says, I never knew you. You never communed with me. You never had fellowship with me. And by that, I could have no fellowship with you. How do we commune? How do we get to know the Lord? Through the scriptures. Through prayer. Through our devotedness to Him. And all He is to us. He bled and died for our sins. Oh, that these words... Don't ring out in our minds. Too late. Too late. It was Alfred Lord Tennyson who wrote this little poem to a queen in regards to her life. When she ran her own show, did her own thing, and was steeped in sin. When he says this, and it was in regards to Matthew chapter 25. Late, late, so late, and dark the night and chill. Late, late, so late, but we can enter still. Too late, too late, we cannot enter now. No light had we, for that we do repent. And learning this, the bridegroom will relent. Too late! Too late, ye cannot enter now. No light, so late, and dark, and chill the night. Oh, let us in, that we may find the light. Too late, too late, ye cannot enter now. Have we not heard, the bridegroom is so sweet? Oh, let us in. Go late to kiss his feet. No, no, too late. You cannot enter now. It'll send a chill right down your spine. Make sure that you have truly repented of all your sins have accepted the fact that there is nothing redeemable about your life, that you need to be born again. Born again by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have that oil. Make sure you have that oil. With that oil, you can be a light in this world. We would like to just close in a word of prayer. Our Father and our God, we are so thankful... For the Lord Jesus Christ who has made salvation possible. He is giving us all this opportunity. This period of grace extending past 2,000 years now. And over and over and over the invitation is given. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Oh, if we turn our backs on that invitation. If we say, no, Lord. Oh, the consequences are great. Our Father, we ask, we ask that you'd help us to realize this salvation so great, and that you'd ask, we'd ask that you'd help us to establish a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that will go on all through all eternity. Help us now, we pray. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen.